why is it that I feel guilt? Why is it that I feel shame? Why is it that I have all this grief? Why is it that I want to hide? Why do I have a secret? What, why, if, if I'm okay with this and everything is all right about abortion, why do I feel like I have a secret to keep? Welcome to the Dear Jane podcast. I'm your host, Scott Baker. The pain associated with an abortion is real and it can linger for decades. However, it can be difficult to identify. Today we visit with Karen Ellison, the author of Healing the Hurt That Won't Heal and the president of Deeper Still. We talk about Karen's post-abortive experience and the very real pain that women and men experience and the steps necessary to restoration. All that and more coming up on this episode of Dear Jane. Karen, tell me a little bit about Deeper Still. What do you do? Deeper Still is a um, 501c3 ministry, and we um, host retreats. These are healing retreats for women and for men with abortion-wounded hearts. Now, I, I know I've defined abortion-wounded hearts, but if you are a woman who's had an abortion or a man who fathered um, an unaborted child, um, these retreats are specifically for you, designed to heal your heart concerning uh, that event. So a lot of times with abortion, you know, we naturally think, first of all, that that's a surgical thing. That's a physical thing that happens to you. That's a chemical um, pill or whatever that you took so that you would no longer be pregnant. And so really the focus of abortion in most cases is focused on the physical aspect, the physical thing that had happened to you. What gets uh, lost in the shuffle uh, with all that is actually once that abortion is over, it's not over. And a lot of times, you know, it's kind of marketed to you. This is quick and easy procedure. Once it's over, it's over. And really the truth of the matter is once it's over, it's only just begun. Your journey of how abortion affected your life just begun. And so we are bringing you know, light to what abortion does to your heart, what it does to your soul, what it does to your spirit, what it does to your life. And until your abortion-wounded heart is healed, you are going to, to live, um, let me say, a compromised life, or certainly not, not fulfilling the full destiny that God would have for you. I'm glad you mentioned both uh, women and men, and we will talk about the needs of men here, and I think that that can often be overlooked. But what drew you to this place? I had an abortion uh, when I was 20. I just turned 22 years old. And I was a Christian at the time. And um, I mean, I had a lot of convictions in life. And even though I didn't know, I didn't know a lot about what abortion was at the time, but I did understand that abortion meant you weren't pregnant anymore. I mean, it wasn't like I was in denial that there wasn't a baby involved. But I think what I would say, um, there are forces out there that can be a stronger influence on you that can override your convictions. And so some of those influences on me were, I think, what is typical for a lot of people, um, there's fear, fear of the unknown, fear of judgment from people, uh, you know, and for me too, just disappointing um, my family, disappointing, even just the fact that I was a Christian, um, you know, like, what does that mean? Like, how did I even get to that place of that kind of, um, not just blindness, but uh, why why can't I stand up for and defend what I believe is true? Why am I, through emotional manipulation or whatever, what was it that made me cave to all the pressures and the fears and the lies? 
And so, you know, on, on the other side of my abortion, those are the things I really had to face that were really difficult. So um, on my own healing journey um, that the Lord took me on, he just um, took me step by step through that. And ultimately out of that um, emerged this, uh, you know, really a calling to help other people receive healing from their abortion so that they don't have to live with that the rest of their lives. How can the pain manifest itself? What what can it look like, feel like? Yeah, well, I think there's, um, if I can just um, rewind that just a little bit, sure. there are certainly emotional consequences um, to uh, to abortion. And I, and I can certainly define some of those for you. But I think it's also important to understand that abortion is first, I think, a spiritual issue. Now, it has emotional and psychological, relational, uh, there's all kinds of um, there's all kinds of uh, consequences to that. But until you come to a spiritual reconciliation and really understand what that is, you know what the sin of abortion is, and and that that is why you're experiencing the emotional consequences that you're experiencing. So I think you know. The, so my caution would be: you don't want to just go at this in healing an abortion wounded heart. You don't want to just go at it from an emotional perspective, like. I want to help you, you know, get relief from these symptoms you're experiencing. But it's more like, all right, well, why, what's causing those in the first place? Why is it that I feel guilt? Why is it that I feel shame? Why is it that I have all this grief? Why is it that I want to hide? Why do I have a secret? What, why, if, if I'm okay with this and everything is all right about abortion, why do I feel like I have a secret to keep? So those are the things, those are some of the spiritual dynamics you really need to unlock before you can find emotional healing and psychological healing. So it begins with asking for forgiveness from God. Well, yes, but I think even that, a lot of people feel like, well, what am I really asking forgiveness for? You know, it, the whole, what is abortion is such a um, kind of a gray area where people have made it gray. They want it to be like, well, we don't really know. You know, a lot of churches have not, not even made a stand about that abortion is the shedding of innocent blood. It's kind of like, oh, we don't really know. It's kind of a gray area. And so if you can't name your sin, you can't repent of it. And if you can't repent, uh, and if you can't um, name your loss, which is your baby in this case, if you can't name your loss, you can't grieve your loss. And if you can't grieve your loss, you can't heal from your loss. So that's really kind of the progression. So what abortion is in the shedding of an innocent blood, the sin of it is uh, exactly that. And we, it's, and there has to be an atonement for moral guilt the moral guilt of shedding innocent blood. That's when you come before the, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's when you come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness for this. I shed innocent blood. You know, a child that you entrusted to me, I rejected. I mean, I have to name it for what it is. And when I do that, then I can receive the full atonement that Jesus Christ paid for me to cover that in full. I want to make sure that we, we accept what you're saying and 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 receive what you're saying but we don't linger because i mean there's there's a lot of guilt so so i'm just putting myself in the position of someone who may be post abortive and obviously there's a lot of guilt and and they may be hearing what you're saying right now and they say well i i i Karen i own that guilt i feel that guilt every day um that's why i'm struggling Karen <laughs> i mean i that that, I, that sin that's that's why I'm 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 in this place. So 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 yes, I feel that Karen. So so I don't want to dismiss it at all. 
but how can then we pivot to redemption? Yeah. Well, so yeah. So like in, in our, in our Christian faith, there's a solution for that guilt. You don't have to live in that guilt. The Lord does not want you to live in that guilt. He just wants you to bring it to, to his atoning cross so that you can finally be released of that guilt. And right along with that guilt comes the shame. And I think this is really where the body of Christ comes in. You know, so much of time, I think we view our, when we bring our sin to the Lord, it's, it's, it's like a vertical thing we do. We just give it to God. We receive his goodness and then we move on in life. But really, the model that Jesus set before us is the body of Christ. We're to come around one another and to heal one another. You know, Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. You know, he spoke, he called his name. He called him out of the tomb. And then he said to his friends around him, he said, now you take off his grave clothes. You know, and so that's really what uh, the body of Christ is here to do. We're here to minister, to be the hands-on uh, human vessel in which Jesus moves through to minister his healing and to minister the forgiveness and to break the shame off of one another and to come into a body where you are accepted and you are loved and that the Lord wants to restore that. So as an as a post-abortion woman, I had to take my responsibility for my part in it. And then I had to receive. I had to receive the grace. I had to receive the forgiveness. I had to receive the comfort. I had to receive that the body of Christ, that I'm in community. I need to be in community about this. I'm not a lone ranger. Because if you're a lone ranger in this, you're going to be isolated and you're never going to walk in the full freedom and truth. And one of the reasons we created, you know, designed our retreats, our healing retreats, is for that very thing, that you were surrounded by a body of believers who uh, are, are fully committed to your healing, to your uh, restoration, and to, uh, and to uh, help you receive all the grace and restoration that the Lord has for you. And so we've designed it for that very thing. So what I hear you describing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, you're describing what I would think would be a very, very difficult step, and especially within the church, and that is going public with your past and what you did? Well, okay, so let me put it this way, Scott. It's not like the Lord asked you to do everything all at once. What the Lord asked you to do is take the first step. And the first step is come out of the darkness, come out of the shadows and come into the light. That's like step number one. Now, when I did that, when I did my step number one, I had no idea that I was ever going to give a public testimony or ever start a ministry. I mean, all of that would have been too overwhelming and I would have been too intimidated by the whole thing. And that's not what he asked of me at that point. He's like, take the first step and I will meet you there. Let's do that. And then then we can take the next step. And so it was just step by step that I began to live in the light. I began to come out of the shadows and that shame broke off of me. You know, there was a time like for years that I couldn't even say the word abortion. And that's the testimony of many that come to our retreats. You can't even say the word abortion, let alone talk about it. I mean, it's the last thing you want to talk about and you will avoid it at every cost because you are bound. You are not free from that. And so many women, I've heard this so many times, uh, not only from women, but from men as well. And that, and if you, you know, if their abortion comes up at all, the very first response is, well, I know I'm forgiven. And so therefore, what else do we have to talk about? Isn't that, isn't that the beginning and end of it all? And don't I just move on now? But those same people that say, I know I'm forgiven, they can't talk about it. They've never grieved about it. They've never shared it with anybody. They don't feel like they're a daughter or son of the king. They feel less than. They feel like, like uh, Jesus's forgiveness is for good people. But, you know, I've taken this a little too far. And he, you know, 
So there's all these lies mixed in with that. So even though people confess that they feel like they've been forgiven, they're not really living out of that freedom. That's because there's a difference between forgiveness and healing. And so it's like, you don't want to stop at forgiveness. That's just the beginning. That is what's going to lead you into your journey to healing. I mean, I can only imagine that this is someone in this position has to deal with not only did Jesus forgive my decision then, but now I have to go public and I have to deal with what does my family think? Mm -hmm. What is my church family think? Um, you talk about some of the most judgmental people in the world, unfortunately. It's some of our church friends, right? How did how did you handle that? I mean, you you said you were a Christian. Um, how how did you handle that? How was did you get pushback from your family? You you must have been scared to death, right? When you went public with it. Tell us, tell us how you handled it. All right. So I mean, those are all really good questions. So, and every person's situation is certainly different. But, you know, I think for, my, for me personally, from where my conviction was and where the word was leading me, it was like, you know, your, your abortion doesn't just happen in like a vacuum. There's a whole context. Like there's some kind of a family dynamic going on that, that I or whoever it might be, why is it that you don't feel like you can immediately go to your family and tell them, you know, that you're, you're pregnant and you're Christ or you've fallen into sin? There's something that is already there that says we don't really talk about that here. You know, there's kind of all these unspoken rules of your family dynamics. So what's that about? So even when you are starting to deal with that, and you, maybe you're going to be the first one in your family dynamic, in your family system, you might be the first one that's going to take steps of help. Like you're not going to just repeat the generational uh, shame, the generational um, skeletons in the closet. You're like going to pioneer way out of this. Like sometimes the Lord is raising you up to say, someone's got to break this system here and start to move forward. And that's kind of how I felt. But again, I didn't feel all the way to that at once. It's like, take the first step with me. And he surrounded me with a few people. All you need really to begin with is one or two people that you know will support you no matter what happens. Like, you know, you got to have, and the Lord brought me those friends. He brought me the type of friends. And I just had a few at the beginning because I was only willing to tell a few people at the beginning, but they're the ones that prayed me through it, that I, sure, that I knew if, so, if I did receive judgment somewhere along the way, I wasn't alone in that. I had people that would support me and do that. And so, so again, I just, and they weren't steps of courage. This does take courage to live in freedom, to live in all that God has for you. It, you have to be courageous. And so some of that for me was, I'm going to learn to not just be timid and, and uh, shrink into the background. Like I, like one of the ways I said it was, you know, I thought I was just going to be a good church girl and I would just sit in the back pew the rest of my life and I wouldn't cause any trouble. Well, that's not what God had for me. He's like, you need to stir it up. You know, what if I called you to stir up some trouble? You know, would you be, a, would you be willing to pioneer a path for that and make a wake that lots of other people can find the courage when, when you step out there, maybe other people behind you can find the courage to do that. So that was part of what the Lord called me uniquely to. And just because you've had an abortion and you're going through healing, the Lord might never ask you to do a public testimony. You know, you, you don't, that, that shouldn't be your major, like the ultimate fear. You know, <laughs> it's more like maybe he's just going to have you help set your family free. Maybe he's going, when you have your own children, maybe you're, you, you now know how to build courage into them and how to, if they fall into sin, that there is, there is a straight path, right? To mom and dad, you know, you don't have to go around and hide it from them. And, you know, you can build a family culture and when you have a healthy family culture, then you can begin to have a healthy 
church community culture. And so that's one of my challenges to churches. You know, I have a big burden for church. In fact, part of when I wrote, I wrote my book, I wrote a book here, but the subtitle is Freedom for the Abortion Wounded and Help for the Church They Fear. Because really you do fear the church. You fear that if I do tell you my sin, what are you going to do with me? And so that's why my, you know, my core message to church and ministry leaders is it's not enough to just develop a culture of life. You have to develop a culture of healing. And when you have both a culture of life and a culture of healing, people will come out of the shadows. They will live in the light and they will allow you to minister to them till they gain their heart back and they gain their life back and their call of God on their life. We're visiting with Karen Ellison, the president of Deeper Still. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the needs of post-abortive men, uh, something that's not often talked about, and we're going to talk about their needs and how they can receive help. And we'll do that when we come back here on Dear Jane. I'd like to tell you more about Choose Life Marketing. Choose Life Marketing is a full-service pro-life marketing agency with data-driven solutions for organizations of all sizes. They serve pregnancy centers, right-to-life organizations, adoption agencies, Christian-led businesses, and more with services ranging from Google paid search and websites to social media and consulting. With clients in all 50 United States, as well as Canada, Ireland, Taiwan, and Australia, Choose Life Marketing has provided services to over 600 clients and counting. They are pro-life marketing leaders with a heart for life. Experts in navigating the rapidly changing post-road climate reach out to Choose Life Marketing by visiting ChooseLifeMarketing.com to get started on crafting your best marketing strategy. And we're back here on Dear Jane visiting with Karen Ellison, who is the president of Deeper Still. We're talking about the care of post-abortive women and men and some of the things that are steps that are necessary to restoration. Karen, one of the questions I want to ask, and I won't ask this correctly, but do you ever outgrow the pain? Well, okay. So let me, let me answer that this way, Scott. There are, you know, there are people that uh, kind of live with this, I would call it a half truth, that time heals all things. And so you think, well, by the time you're 70 years old, you know, that was so far in my past. That was 50 years ago. I should be long past it. Time alone does not heal anything. Time alone just keeps it buried. And you just learn how to manage your life around it. But when the subject comes up again, um, you can be right back there with your heart. And so like, for example, at our retreats, we have had women in their and men, we've had women and men in their mid seventies come to our retreats still carrying the guilt and the shame from way back then because time alone did not heal it. So, but here's the promise of the gospel. I mean, here's what, I mean, the gospel, Jesus is blood. It either, it either works or it doesn't. So when you fully receive the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood atonement for you, your guilt is forgiven. And you now have the ability to break that power of shame off of you. And so that's why you can live in freedom from this. Now, guilt and, I mean, I'm sorry, so let me make that distinction between that and grief. You know, grief is when you have a loss and when, especially profound, if it's a profound loss, like a child, like as in abortion, then, you know, the, um, the, the ripple effects of that loss is profound. And so it does have a lot of ripple effects. So, you know, but that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit too. It's like, he is our comforter. 
And we, as the body, we comfort one another in these things. So for as a Christian, first of all, you have the joy and the assurance that you are going to live with your children in eternity. So your loss is, first of all, it's an earthly loss. Now, it's a profound loss, but it's an earthly loss. So we have the hope of heaven. Now, unbelievers don't have that hope. They don't have that belief. And so there's a certain kind of worldly sorrow. You know how the Bible talks about worldly sorrow, and it makes a distinction between that and godly sorrow. But part of the healing process, though, is to step into your grief. Again, a lot of people, even if you might maybe have received forgiveness, so you're not necessarily living your life out just guilt-ridden, but if you haven't ever really grieved your loss of your children that were aborted, then you're, you're not complete in your healing because the Lord wants to meet you in that very grief place and comfort you in that place and bring healing to that grief so that you don't walk in active grief, I might say it that way, for the rest of your life. But I know I, it's like, you know, um, even after I had my abortion, I never, I, I never again conceived a child. So I've never birthed a child. I have three stepchildren that I've helped raise, but I've never birthed a child. So, you know, there's part, you know, part of me that lives with the, the sadness of that. But it's kind of like, it's something I visit now and then. It's something I acknowledge and all that. But the Lord has made up for so much in my mother's heart. I was so fearful that my mother's heart would just die. And the Lord's like, your mother heart is not going to die. In fact, I am going to um, expand your mother's heart beyond, beyond what you ever hoped or imagined. I'm going to give you a whole network of people that, um, that you're going to help restore their mother's heart because the world needs mothers. Orphans need mothers. Children need mothers. And the Lord can restore all that, even if you don't birth your own children. He has a way of, uh, of restoring what the, what the locust has eaten. What are the unique needs of post-abortive men? That's a very good question, too. So even though in many ways, women and men, you know, we both have, we both have hearts, we both have emotions, and how we might express those could be like really different from, really different from each other, but we still have the same basic emotional needs. And men who, especially young men who have fathered children, you know, even though they might not call it fear, probably the first thing they fear have is that sense of fear and that could be fear of i don't have what it takes to you know fear of leadership how do i lead in this situation fear of provision how am i going to provide for this how am i fear of responsibility you know i i'm just not so you know you can just kind of give yourself an out by saying i'm not ready for any of that and so once you kind of make that i'm not ready for any of that then you emotionally detach and you say well we just need to do what we need to do you know we need to just have a solution and the solution is we need to go and just get rid of this. We need it. We need to get restricted. So there's a whole scale in terms of uh, how men deal with it, depending on where they're at about it. If they are, um, you know, some men are as far as extremely manipulative, coercive, and are forcing uh, a woman to have an abortion, all the way over here to men who desperately wanted to have that baby, but she refused to have that baby. And so they're living on this end of it. So uh, anger shows up in a lot of places. And, and as you probably know, behind anger, a lot of times it's just deep hurt and deep insecurity. And so, uh, so a lot of the men that we've seen at our retreats, you know, they, they, they pretty much across the board, they, they have a sense of, I failed. I'm a failure. Like I, I had all kinds of maybe expectations for how I would be as a father or that I wanted to fight for my children, but it was taken from me. 
and I, so you just feel helpless. And a lot of times, uh, and, and along, that, along with that failure and helplessness, you feel powerless, like it was usurped from me. So I am powerless. And so those feelings really um, emasculate on that. Your sense of courage, your sense of uh, protector, warrior, provider, all those things are, war, you know, have, have come under um, accusation or attack. And then, and then for the men though, who they wanted that abortion and they really forced their uh, girlfriends or wives into that. Um, th that's a whole other level too that they need to step into. Is God's grace big enough for that? If you're willing to come and humble yourself before the Lord, his, you're going to find that his mercy is great enough even for that. And he can restore that, that in your heart where you just felt so uh, low, uh, you know, and so like, like you're just unredeemable. And so really we all come before the same cross, but we come with different levels of how we view ourselves and how abortion has wounded our hearts. I'll bet for men, it, it, it's even more difficult to identify the source to figure out, oh, that's what it's been all along uh, for post-abortive men to, to realize, oh, okay, all this, you know, this anger, this insecurity to really to come to, okay, it was this post-abortive experience. Uh, it may have been, it may be really difficult to identify, oh, that was the source all along. Yes, that is so true. And that's actually true of women as well. It's mm -hmm. like all these, all these ways that you're living out your, your bondage, all these ways you're living out your guilt because you're trying to cover that. You're trying to self-atone. That's what we do. When we're, when we're too even afraid to come to God, we self-atone. Well, how do we do that? Well, we, we, we become perfect. We become perfect at everything. Or we become performance-driven. Like, you, I have to be successful in something. So a lot of men will pour themselves into their work or their career or whatever it is because you have to feel good about yourself. You have to feel confident. You have to feel like you can achieve, you can protect you can provide. And so you get all these things. So, but when you have the underlying anger or that underlying, uh, just some insecurities, you don't want to attribute it. It's hard to attribute it back to the abortion. And this is true for women too, because you're running for it. You're trying to atone for yourself. And it's like, you want it to be anything. You want it to be about anything, but that let it be about anything, but that, but when they come to that thing of really realizing, you know, I didn't start having this addiction until it was after that abortion with my girlfriend. You know, I didn't, I wasn't really a drinker then, or I, I never did drugs, or I never did pornography. I'll say, whatever it is you're trying to do to fill up that void of that hole and that feeling of failure, you will fill that with whatever you can. And, but the thing is, is you never, all of a sudden you, you know, you recognize someday I'm in more bondage than I've ever been in. Here I am 20 years later, and I might have, you know, I might have a bank account I can show you, or I might have some kind of a resume to prove something to somebody, but my heart is still broken and wounded and my relationships are distant. Do you, do you imagine that some women don't experience some of the pain that we are talking about here today? Okay. So here's how I would, here's how I would answer that. <laughs> Emotions are a funny thing. You can turn them on, you can turn them off. Some people, it's easier to turn off your emotions than other people. And so, so just think of it from, a, again, from a spiritual standpoint, you know, even if we don't ever feel a minute of guilt about my abortion, does that justify me before God? You know, we all know, we all know how extreme the human heart can get. I mean, you take, you know, like serial killers, let's just take that for example. 
who can go to their grave and not feel one sense of remorse or regret, you know, and we kind of look at that and go, how can that be? Like, how can that be? But it can be, you can harden your heart. You can detach emotionally from your actions so that you never do have like your conscience is seared. Like you don't ever feel that. So there are plenty of women out there that you would see in the whole pro-abortion movement. They've kind of worked really hard to say, hey, I don't feel one ounce of guilt about this. In fact, I'm proud of my abortion. In fact, I'm going to shout my abortion to, to prove to you how much this doesn't bother me. And so, you know, and people can choose to live that way and people do live that way. But the sad thing is, is the more you go down that road, the more and more you're disconnected from your heart. And then it's hard to feel compassion for anything. Everything is just about a fight. It's not about, you know, my sadness or like, you know, how disconnected I am, or I'm just not even a kind person anymore. Or, you know, you can, you can make those choices and go down that path. What's especially effective about a retreat? A retreat is what I think it's one of the most beautiful contexts to receive healing. For one thing, we have designed our retreats and we work really hard to make this the safest place you could possibly imagine to bring your hardest thing that you've ever done or ever had to tell anyone about to bring it into the light. So we go to great lengths to create the most perfect environment for that to happen. And then we give you a chance to take your first step, you know, all your steps, but your first step, which is coming out of the dark into the light. So one of our, one of our first exercises is that you tell your story, you tell your abortion story, like what happened to you. And so you do that in the context of a small group of other women or men who have, um, some of them have been through abortions themselves. Some of them have not been through abortions themselves, but they're all there with the hearts of compassion and they want to, and they're going to fight for you. They're going to fight for you to help you walk through this and take steps of courage. All right, Karen, last question. What would you say? I'm willing to bet that there is a woman or a man listening that's saying, you know what? Um, I hear you, but I can tough it out. The, The shame of going public with my past decisions. It's not worth the potential embarrassment or shame that may come along with it. I'm just going to keep bottling up these feelings. I've made it this far. Uh, I'm just going to tough it out. I, I can't risk it. What would you say to them? Well, you certainly have a choice to tough it out. If that's how you want to live your life, it's, it's tough it out. Um, I'm not going to twist your arm and try to convince you that you know there might be a better path for you in life. You have to take personal responsibility, not only for your actions, but you have to take responsibility for what you want. What do you want your life to be like? And the thing is, is you have choices. You do have choices. If you want to be paralyzed your whole life, you know, uh, if that's what you want to do, but you need to know that the Lord has so much more for you. There is a place for freedom and abortion does not have to define you. For years, I felt like abortion defined me, like it, it seized my identity. And I could have stayed there. I could stay there. And I would, have, as a Christian, I would have still gone to heaven when I died. But I would, but I, but the Lord would be like, you know, what did you do with what I gave you? You know, it's like, I don't want to stay there. It's like, Lord, your, your redemption is real and your restoration is real. And I want to go after it. And that's my challenge to you. It's like, you don't have to be the victim of this the rest of your life, but you do have to make choices. And, but there are people that are willing to come along, come around you so that you're not doing this alone. In fact, you can't do it alone. You need people to walk this out with you. And that's one of the reasons why Deeper Steel has been raised up 
we'll walk that out with you. DeeperStill.org is the website. Karen Ellison, president of Deeper Still, thank you so much for joining us here today on Dear Jane. Thanks for having me. I want to take a minute and tell you about Soul Global, Sanctity of Human Life Global. Soul Global is a nonprofit organization that believes every human person has value and deserves to be served with dignity from conception through the end of life. Soul Global equips people, churches, and communities with the tools they need to advance the sanctity of human life message around the world. One of the tools they have is Soul Care, which is a complimentary online platform for churches and nonprofits to have an initial voice for the cause of life. Churches and nonprofits can provide online counseling, life-affirming education, support, and referrals to resources in their community through the Soul Care tool. And it doesn't end there. To learn more about the many tools Soul Global offers, check out their website at soulglobal, that's S-O-H-L global.org. In this edition of People You Should Know, we visit with Tim Miller from Lionheart International Services Group. Tim is a former Secret Service agent and 30-year law enforcement veteran. He says in light of recent vandalism and violence, security considerations at pregnancy centers are no longer optional. You have to start thinking about what do we do with this new world that we're living in? How do we deal with directed violence against the clinic? Because really what they're attacking is the mission of the clinic. They're not attacking the clinic per se. They're, they, they don't want any other thought process than abortion should be happening without limitation. The most important thing is you have to own your own security. The old days of something happens, we call the police, they come, they make everything better. Those are gone. If this clinic, your clinic is going to be successful and be able to fully operate, you have to own the security element of that. Tim says getting started doesn't have to be difficult. First off, take a look at your facility. Uh, reach out to the local police, have them come by, do a walkthrough. But you, yourself, you look at your facility, walk around the facility, Take a look at the doors. Are the doors glass? Can they easily be broken? Can stuff be thrown through windows and 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 that kind of thing? And and then really kind of stop and think: If I was going to attack this, how would I do it? And that's a baseline for beginning. As Tim has consulted with pregnancy centers around the country, he says he's grown to understand the balance between security and the need for a welcoming environment and privacy. What I would say is that, you know, really good security is behind the scenes. It's not out there in front. It's not barbed wire. It's not canine patrols. Um, uh, back in the day when I worked for the Secret Service, you know, they wanted that image. They, hey, you never, you better never try to come in here. That's the opposite of what we're looking for with clinics and with churches. We want good security, but we want it in a way that is um, inviting, certainly. Uh, in terms of privacy, um, there are concerns about having video. I've heard those from a number of directors. Here's what I would say um, about the video. It, 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 the internal video is not as concerning to me as having external building video. And that's designed by nature 
to identify suspicious cars in the parking lot. If it's a public sidewalk and someone's walking, you know, up and down the sidewalk, um, those are the kinds of things that we want to be proactive. We want to make it not happen. Well, if one person's walking that that sidewalk 25 times, constantly staring or actually taking photos of the facility, that may be something, again, that you want to convey to the local police. Because we've got to be ahead of this violence. It doesn't help us once it's happened to kind of clean up the mess. We've got to be proactive. As far as when the right time is to call the police, Tim says it can depend. But if you're unsure, don't hesitate. When in doubt, call it out. The police are not going to get upset if you call them for a suspicious person and it turns out not to be accurate or, hey, there are crowds forming out here. They would rather have advance notice than to get behind the power curve. So, again, that goes back to the proactive actions of saying to the police, hey, come out, walk our facility. I encourage clinics. You really want to win friends, put a coffee pot there. Give the police a key to the, the building. Say, hey, if you want to write reports, we'd love to have you. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit lionheartsecurityteam.com. In today's world, you can't afford not to have good security. My thanks once again to Karen Ellison from Deeper Still for joining me here on Dear Jane today. Two things swirling around my head as I reflect on our conversation. One, just how much courage it requires to take the steps necessary towards the restoration Karen describes. Whether it's been five years or 50, I think it would be incredibly difficult to tell your family and friends about an abortion decision in your past, especially if you knew that it wouldn't be well received by some of them. But Karen makes a really good case for the benefits of doing so, regardless of how long it's been. The other thing that I just can't shake is, as you hear about all this pain associated with abortion, you know this isn't being discussed at Planned Parenthood. You know the young women in those facilities right now aren't hearing about any of this. All the years of pain and heartache associated with an abortion is being hidden from these women in the name of choice or health care. It's enough to make you angry. It's just another reminder of why we need to support pregnancy resource centers where the truth is being told. Thanks for listening to Dear Jane. I'm Scott Baker. Dear Jane is a production of the Choose Life Coalition. You can learn more at ChooseLifeCoalition.com.